Hello and a very warm welcome to the Trap One Podcast. I'm Mark. I'm Denise. I'm John. And I'm James. Doctor Who is back. Yay! Yay! The flux has begun. The Doctor is hounding the alien Carvinista with dogged determination. Oh. But as a host mm. of aliens and the TARDIS itself is breaking down, it looks like things are about to turn rough. Oh. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> How anyway. long have you been working those out for, Mark? <laughs> yes. Thanks for having me, Mark. And I, I look <laughs> look forward to your next podcast. Bye. Brilliant. <laughs> 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 So I thought for me this got off to an absolutely brilliant start. I, I started smiling as soon as the doctor mentioned Nitro Nine. Yes, and then just continued through the uh, the, the trying to release the the voice activated handcuffs with with her Scottish accent. <laughs> Maybe I was Scottish. Did, did you did you see the subtitles? Told you it was the seventh Doctor and the twelfth Doctor. Yes, so somebody yeah, screenshot this um, and posted it today, didn't they? So that it's the uh, and then with the seventh Doctor, it's with the the rolled R. So it's like yeah. <laughs> <laughs> having that. some difficulty imagining Sylvester McCoy having a need for voice-activated handcuffs or indeed any kind of handcuffs. It would make it very difficult to play the spoons. <laughs> That's true. That's true. But yeah, it was a very, uh, almost like a James Bond sort of halfway through a mission, kind of really action-packed opening, wasn't it? Yeah. Not always a massive fan of that sort of in-media res thing where, you you know, you just sort of start in the middle of the action and then it sort of cuts back to, you know, earlier. But that's not really what we got. It was just sort of piling straight in and then just continuing. It was, um, yeah, I, it, hugely enjoyable. You, you, you put your, your finger on a lot of things there. Uh, Mark, it, it it was a lot of fun. I say it was ever so slightly hectic, um, and it's like it, it just seemed like uh, Chris Chibnall was was just like opening new browser tabs all the time uh, to to the extent uh, that by by the time we got to the end of the episode, I was a little bit stressed out about all these sort of um, stories that have started and don't seem to have anything to do with each other yet. Yeah, it was it was a bit like that, and <clears throat> I know I I sort of watched it last night and then reflected on it and then had to watch it again this morning, just to sort of try and make a little bit of sense of it. And like you say, you you it it's really difficult when you've got as we have in this case a six story arc, and it's where do you put the the plot essentially? Where do you put all of the narrative because because sometimes you you can watch something um, which might be sort of multi-episode and you'll get one episode towards the end that suddenly backfills all the plot that you didn't know you know before you get to the big reveal at the end and i kind of feel like chibnall's gone no 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 we're not doing that we're going to give you it all in the first episode so we're going to use the first episode to set up all these different characters which at the moment we've got no idea what relates all of the different events that are happening. Got some theories, and I'm sure we'll talk about that, but, you know, things like Claire, who just randomly walks up and goes, hi, Doctor, and they're like, oh, I don't know who you are. And yeah. and, and you're, you're suddenly going, 
okay, what's the significance of her? And you've got Vinda, who spends the entire episode on a space station on his own. Um, a space station seeing, called Rose. Yes, outpost, outpost Rose, yeah. And, and So you have all these, these sort of selection of characters, and I'm sure over the next well, remaining five weeks we'll learn how they come together, how they interact with each other. But I, I think it's... You're right, there's a lot going on, but I think that the sort of all of the scene setting is going on quite early rather than halfway through, which, you know, sometimes you you can find that lag in the middle where we're like, right, we've got to explain all these different characters now. So I'm quite excited. Yes, definitely. Um, I love the way it's all been set up with all these different things happening at the same time. I mean... That's kind of what happens in real life as well, isn't it? We we don't just have to deal with one plot at a time. So, uh, yeah, it's fascinating. And whether they will all come together in one harmonious whole or whether it will be, yes, the Doctor's dealing with six separate things at the same time, who knows? Um, I'm certainly interested in the Claire situation. There seems to be a bit of a paradox with her mm. that... Um, and how does she know about the Weeping Angels? Are they common knowledge in the Hooniverse these days? I don't think they are, are they? Yeah, she knows not to blink, doesn't she? And, and mm. there's, there's a nice... She says about um, going the long way round. Yeah. Which is something that's come up previously. So, I don't know, I was, I was really intrigued by Claire because... She seemed to have knowledge of the the weeping angels. She she almost had a premonition because she was like, "Claire, you've got to go home now." So she 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 knew something was going to happen, um, and and you saw her at the very end bit where they did all the the montage of all the different characters. Just a couple of seconds, you saw her materialise somewhere, but you don't know where she's materialised or what you know why she's there. Um, but yeah, there's, it, it was really intriguing. She seemed to have a connection with Yaz because she was like, "Oh, you know, I will see you soon." Um, so yeah, it'd be interesting to see how she appears in the narrative later on. Interesting. It made me think she might have a connection to Dan as well. The fact that she's walking down specifically his street. Yeah. With it expecting to see the doctor there um and you're right what she said about taking the long way home it felt like it echoed slightly the girl in the fireplace um the way that um uh madame de pompto was taking the long long way around but also in heaven sent the doctor says uh you know having spent all those uh centuries in the confession dial uh he says something like i've come home the long way around yeah. as well, doesn't he? So there's it, to echo a couple of different things there. So let's have a little vote. Is she Susan or is she the Rani? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> is she is she um, another either pre Hartnell Doctor or the next incarnation? Well, I think that adds another layer, doesn't it? Uh, since the events of the last series of Doctor Who, I felt like. You're trying to guess who everybody is, but there's another layer now because you're also thinking, who else could be a pre-Hartnell mm-hmm. doctor? And when we saw the two 
division agents who were there who witnessed uh, the swarms escape and, uh, and then were killed. I was immediately sort of thinking, is, is one of them a previous yeah. doctor? And this is a flashback to, to, you know, sort of a previous adventure. I mean, in my mind, when um, the second time that um, the swarm sort of psychically spoke to uh, the doctor and was talking about how they had, you know, basically chased each other through time, battling each other. I was thinking it's got to be the roof doctor. It's, you know, that that's a flashback I want to see is, is uh, the roof doctor sort of battling the swarm um, when she was part of the division. Um, but it, it's nice that they've, they've gone straight into that. There was, I, mean, I know the timeless child is contentious for some Doctor Who fans, but they, they've not shied away from it or buried it or anything. They've just gone, right, we are going straight in with the Doctor is trying to find out more about the Division, trying to find out more about her past. And I, and I, and I like that because it, it gives um, Jodie more to work with. Yeah, sometimes I feel she she needs something, you know, really needs that sort of emotional um, side which I, you know, I can see coming through a little bit more now. With the two division agents, when with that scene with the with the swarm, I was very much reminded of um, Cassia handing over care mm. of the Melka to Nyssa, but of course it ended a lot more dramatically. A lot. I mean, that was frightening. I thought the effects of the disintegrating deaths of the various humans and um, the when um, Swarm came to life and the spikes yeah. came out of his head and everything, yes, it's Halloween, but I can imagine some quite young children yeah, would have been quite scared horrifying. by that. Mm. It's really formidable. I can still see it in my mind's eye. Mm. <laughs> I like had a really urbane voice. I think you know you expect um, an alien with those sort of prosthetics. You know the the instinct maybe would be to to play it with um, you know kind of a more of a snarling accent or you know like kind of a doctor. Yeah. Uh, yes. Fact that he was so so kind of well spoken. His voice, um, Sam, Sam Spruill. He, yes, his voice is absolutely amazing, isn't it? I mean. Uh, he could be quite persuasive, I would imagine, with a voice. I, I like that side of it a lot. But, yeah, it seems like this this is the pre-Hartnell Doctor's kind of Moriarty um, kind of, yeah, kind of big enemy. So that, that idea that the Swarm remembers all the times that, that uh, they've been defeated by the Doctor or the Doctors um, and it got this advantage over her now is is a really cool idea. Mm. I, think. I didn't quite. There were. I, I, I've only seen this twice, um, and I, I, a lot of it hasn't really penetrated me yet. And I, you know, and we're, we're oh, sorry to, if, if you know what I mean. Um, and it's it's optimistic to expect to understand stuff just on the the strength of the first episode. But there were things I didn't get, like the uh, the bit where the swarm escapes from the containment chamber with the two um the two was names what's it called the division the two divisions division guards how, yeah yeah how, how how did the swarm escape what happened there they i mean they they sort of tossed it off as a uh like a, a breach containment breach or failure or something but 
I, I didn't quite understand how it had been it had been in prison forever and ever and ever, and then suddenly it wasn't. Did I miss something? Um, I sort of figured that he was um, dormant and regenerating himself, recharging himself in a way, until the moment was right. That's what I thought. I mean, you can see how basically can kill people just by waving his hand over them. So uh, that that's how it made sense to me anyway, that he was just biding his time, charging up his batteries, for waiting me. for the right moment. I wondered if it was something to do with what's happening to the TARDIS. So this this the TARDIS is going through some sort of malfunction or breakdown and bits are leaking and doors are popping up everywhere. Yes, that, that yeah. black gooey stuff is the TARDIS so I, I wondered whether it was to do with some sort of external thing that's happening to the universe, which has allowed him to be free. Um one of my theories, early theories around flux is all the, you know, the colourful ribbons, like the rainbow. If you watch the the TV advert, and I think I said this on the, when the trailer came out and I gave a little bit of a, an insight into it. I think it's something to do with like fractured timelines or, or something to do with um, alternatives. And, and I wonder whether... That's what's affecting the TARDIS, because the TARDIS now seems to have four different doors, front doors. It seems to be, um, you know, all over the place. One of them's on the floor. One of them's sort of at a weird angle. Uh, and, so, and I just wonder whether the, the flux itself it is something to do with, with like, multiple timelines or, or erasion of... Creating yeah. dimensional instabilities which is allowed a bit like the the time lock on the time on the time war it's allowed um him to escape the swarm yeah so it's kind of a shock wave that's traveling ahead of the flux which would sort of make sense yeah yeah because you you don't um there's the there's a bit of a mystery around um how um uh, what's his name kavar is it how do you pronounce this? <laughs> I'm going to get it wrong. Yes, that's it. Garvanista. You don't understand, uh, you don't get an explanation as to why his, just his ship was th- thrown <laughs> forward. Yeah, time disturbance mm. or something. Yeah. Yeah. I have, um, I have questions about the, the dogmen and the bonded species thing as well. It sound, this sounds, from the way I picked it up, uh, Every one of the little dog, the doghead boys, uh, has a human that they are personally responsible for. But that's, mm. that's there's a lot of admin involved in that because people die <laughs> and get born all the time. Mm. So you know, if it, if if your if your human dies, do you have to go and you know, as it were, live on a farm, or do they just give you a new human? How does it work? It's a, it's a, it's almost it's almost like it's a very silly idea. And also, where were these guys all, all, all those previous universe-threatening occasions? It is a silly idea, but I think it's a wonderful idea that, that you know, that these, these essentially these dog people come back to look after <laughs> the humans. They're all pair-bonded to a human. Um, you know, I, I, I think that's a wonderful idea. It's brilliantly executed, because the guy I who's playing Carvalho is just so, he's so funny. <laughs> 
That, that is an interesting mm. notion. I think I would have found that comforting. Too, too complicated a system to run. But, you know, I'm very impressed with it. And it, it is beautifully executed. And I wish I'd looked up the guy that's playing Carbonista because he just is funny. Uh, you know, where the doctor finally catches up with him and he goes, oh, come on. And it's just, um, yeah, it's funny. And I also like the, um, yeah, there's the, the bit where uh, Dan finally loses the rag, you know, after having the, the nice trick-or-treaters. <laughs> then, then the bolshy guy says, you're not even dressed up. He says, well, neither are you. And then, like, the third one is the dog guy, Carvinista, uh turning up, smashing his, his door to bits. Um, and Dan, Dan, once he takes his helmet off, Dan sort of strokes his fur and says, oh, it's lovely and soft. And then he gives his, his nose a little boop. And there's a beautiful, almost <laughs> sound effect on there as well, which is adorable. Yes, my, my other half pointed out to me that um, that dog's got a northern accent again, you know. <laughs> Regional accents don't always make a lot of sense in space, but um, I'm always reminded of the uh, Christopher Eccleston quotation, lots of planets have a north. Yeah. Cat, cat people are Irish and dog people are northern. Sounds about right to me. We've only met one of them, so there might be some that are like German shepherds who have a German accent. <laughs> then, uh, is he, was he like a Yorkshire Terrier? Am I right in thinking? Yeah, I had that look, didn't I? I'm yeah, that that's good. a yeah. good point. That is a good point. But did he have an old accent because he was a Yorkshire Terrier? Have you got this? Yeah. like um, Scotty dogs, are they going to be Scottish? And... This is, this, this is just, uh, just a, a, whole, a whole realm of cultural appropriation waiting to happen here, isn't it? <laughs> I'm, I'm going to say, before I forget, I did not take kindly to the anti Leeds agenda. That seemed, seemed to come out of nowhere. What's that, what was that about? Leet is all right. Was that, was that about football rivalry? I don't know anything about football either. I assumed that that was some kind of football rivalry reference. Um, well, nobody likes Leeds, Leeds United. Uh, but Leeds United don't care, famously. They have a song. Have a song. Yes, I'm reliably informed true. that that is the um, case. Yeah, no, I don't know. It didn't seem to come out of any, any sort of footballing context. It was just, it, it was when when Yaz was doing one of her patented too much information introductions. I'm Yaz, Yasmin Khan, formerly PC, WPC Yasmin Khan of the Hallamshire Police thing. Uh, and that's, you know, that's when Dan said, what, like Sheffield? She went, yeah, what's wrong with that? And he said, oh, two near Leeds. There's some really good comedy in here, and and uh, a lot of it does revolve around Dan, like you said, with the with the trick or treaters. The fact that there's a there's a man in a dog. I love the scene where the, he's threatening him, and he goes, "Oh, that that looks really soft," and starts stroking his face. Um, and then you've got the sort of banter with uh, Yaz later on, and and I, and I like um, the fact that. The first episode, you don't feel like Dan's out of place. He seems to sort of fit in really well. Um, there's again, there's another sort of callback to Eccleston where um, they do the they're, they're doing the re, the sort of uh, first time meeting the Doctor running, 
and uh, he says, Dan, and the doctor says, hi, Dan, I'm the doctor, run for your life. And there's that element of, you know, that's all going back to the first instance with Rose. Um, there's, there's a couple of curious things about Dan. One of them, I'm not sure uh, if anyone picked up on, and he made this comment about one of my friends had one of these and it was a bit bigger. Yeah, uh, yeah I thought that, that was in just being a, a Larry Scouser. You know, it's, mm. it's, I, I don't think it had any, any any basis in anything other than just having to be a bloke. You know, it's like it's like 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 if you know cars and things, isn't it? It's like oh yeah, I've got, yeah, my mate had really it's a little bit fat. Yeah, I, I think yeah. that's what I, I thought it was, it was as well. I thought the first time I watched it, then the second time I watched it, I thought that doesn't really fit his character mm. though. It, you're absolutely right, James. I I, I picked up on it as. Um, an outlier because it, you know, it's it, if he's doing it as a bit of braggadocio and just showing off, he's, it, it makes him out to be a bit of a dick. And he, he hadn't been up till that point, he'd been, you know, established nice. clearly as a nice guy, uh, you know, so late, later than on the scouse a bit, but um, you know, working in a food bank, hasn't got any food himself, you know, it's just like self deprecating and and all that stuff. And then, yeah, that that remark about, oh, yeah, my mate had one, but it was a bit bigger. That's that is not that that's not a kind remark or you know a, a good thing if it's a joke. No. But if it's if it's an actual statement of fact, that's quite interesting. I think it is. The doctor is mm. not picking yeah. up on important things. So like when Claude says, you know, I don't know who you are and, and everything, the doctor seems remarkably disinterested <laughs> in that. And, and and same with that comment, she just says shut up. But I think if if I feel like if Dan was gonna make a comment like that. He would have made it in the same scene when the doctor hands him his miniaturized mm. house, and he just says something like, well, "I can't <laughs> live in that." But that's that's when he would have made like a bit of a sarcastic comment or or, or that kind of that kind of comment. So for me, I think uh, that was an important line that will be um, coming to its own later on. He I think. also said, sort of um, echoing Donna in her early days where he said what's so special about me because again mm. that I, I think there is a a pattern of coincidence around him he just so happened that uh Carvinista got thrown forward in time to pick dan up and and is now you know he is the sort of center of coincidence mm-hmm. um in, in a way yes I mean, one thing that, that I thought was um, the um, the swarm character. His bone structure and his teeth are very similar to Dan's, Ooh. to John Bishop's. So I'm wondering, is there a connection between them? Is he in disguise? What's yeah, because his on sister here? was in disguise, wasn't she? Azur was in disguise. I mean, there was... They, they randomly showed this couple mm. <laughs> in the Arctic, and then later you found that the the, uh, uh, the woman was his sister under some sort of heavy disguise, a bit like the fob watch for a Time Lord. Yeah. Something had happened, and she'd been placed into a human um, form. So again, you know, there's nothing to say that Dan isn't, you know, part of the swarm's race. Mm. Also, yeah, Dan, the name Dan ends 
A-N, that's the last two letters of Susan, and the middle two letters of Rani. So I think, I think Dan is both Susan and the Rani. Uh, but yeah, I think it's sort of a coincidence. It's the people around him, isn't it? It's Claire, who, uh, you know, as I say, was on his street. His friend, Di, who, uh, you know, he's going to go on a date with, is, is the one that Azure yeah. targets immediately afterwards. So. Yeah, she's, she's taken, yeah. you know, she, she's lured into the house by Azure. Um, you know, and the last we see is is her being threatened and you, you and again you wonder what's her connection with everything that that's going on you would imagine it would be some sort of connection to dan we're going to have some fun with you isn't that what she says yeah that's mm. what she says it's quite quite sinister mm. Like that he'd arranged to pick her up for for their date outside the creepiest looking <laughs> house, the most haunted on Halloween. On Halloween, yeah. There was there was part of me that was expecting that house to be a TARDIS. Um, you know, when she when she saw the light and she was drawn into it, I wondered if the, the house would then dematerialise. But um, she sort of she went across the threshold and then ended up in what looked like some sort of alien planet. Mm. Well, water, she was knee deep. Yeah. She was ankle deep in water, wasn't she? As well, yeah. Yes. Now we haven't mentioned the Sontarans yet. The Sontarans. We haven't mentioned the double bed yet. What's going on with um, Yaz and the Doctor falling into the TARDIS and into a double bed? That's quite a thing. No, it wasn't straight into a double bed. They bounced off the. And stuff a net. It was, it was a very odd sequence. No, I like that. I, I think that's to be encouraged. One for the Thasmin ship inside, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. It's, something, it's mm. something about the Chibnall era, though, that as far as I can remember, there's no acknowledgement or evidence that there are any other rooms other than the console room, is there? I think, if I remember rightly, in the spare TARDIS at the start of Revolution of the Daleks, Yes, he's got a sleeping bag in the yeah. console room, hasn't she? Yeah. I mean, there's, there's going to be bedrooms and, and stuff kind of just off that room, but I don't think we've ever got any sense that the TARDIS in this era extends beyond the console room. No, maybe. that's a very good point. I love a good TARDIS corridor. There's always a good episode in the classic series where you got to see the inside of the TARDIS in some some way. That was that was that was a highlight. Yeah. Seen yeah. bigger boot cupboards. <laughs> in the 80s, you got to companions' bedrooms and stuff, didn't you? Yeah, yeah that, was, that was weird as well. Weren't uh, yeah. Chicken and Nissa bunking up together, despite the fact that there's presumably an infinite number of other rooms they could have used? Yes. <laughs> and Turlo had yeah. to have Adric's old room. Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> just don't want to do much housework. It's like, no, don't go in the other rooms. Just leave those rooms. They basically just leave Chameleon in a cupboard. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Bless him. I, I, do, I do like, even from the first sort of sequence we were just talking about at the beginning, the relationship between the Doctor and Yaz has developed a lot more. I think Yaz is now benefiting from being the 
the companion on her own. Obviously, Dan's Dan's come in, but there's much more of a, a challenging relationship between her and and the Doctor, and she's you know. I find it frustrating that the Doctor doesn't trust her enough, and that was a frustration from the last season as well, where all this stuff was going on, uh, you know, and, and the Doctor really didn't say much about it. Gallifrey had been destroyed, and when they tried to talk to her about it, it was like, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's all, it's all right, everything's fine. But I think Yaz is getting much more um, to the point with the Doctor and saying, look, you are deliberately keeping things from me. Um, and, I, and I like that that Yaz has now started to get that that confidence, and she's flying the TARDIS. There's, when she rescues Dan, she's like, "Oh, there's nine booby traps that I can see," and she's be, you know she's become a real seasoned TARDIS traveller. And I hope that comes out more in the next five stories that her her character continues. To yeah, she definitely has. More James is out That's there. That's very Absolutely. true. The case, and I'm just glad that they've they've drawn a line under this um, police officer business because it was always kind of weird. It's like you know, when did she actually do her job? Um, mm. you know, she's mm. about cavorting all the time. Now she's explicitly an ex-police person, so yeah, that's good. Don't have to worry about that anymore. <laughs> Although I must admit, I did think that she rather picked the wrong moment to have a go at the doctor for being a bit. Uh, reticent about certain things when uh, they were in the middle of mm. quite obviously quite a bad crisis yeah. you know I mean, we are seeing a doctor who, who is not quite right uh you know by her own admission um she you know she's having these sort of incidents and gives her brain an mot and stuff um so yeah you know i, I i'm hoping that this sort of a, a apparently cavalier attitude that the, do- the doctor seems to have um is uh character thing rather than just a sort of failure in the writing yeah i suppose it ties into what i was saying about yeah her not being concerned about yeah certain things that are going on around her uh, that would make sense the, the preoccupation mm. i agree i love i love that the, um yaz can fly the tardis or help to fly the tardis and again that's kind of a bit of an 80s thing as well isn't it of uh it used to be that turlo and nissa and uh and some of those um companions had a, had a bit of an idea about how to yeah. fly it and then the uh, the bit where the that sort of virtual rendition of all the Lupari ships um, and it turns into you seeing them in space, that's the Silver Nemesis cliffhanger, isn't it? When um, the, uh, the the on yeah. Aces, uh, yeah, Aces, <laughs> Aces, um, blaster, uh, they, they, they see the little holographic display and then there's a transition into, uh, into all the ships in space as well. That felt like a, a, a kind of direct lift from Get that story. Back, yeah. Yeah. But if you could borrow from the best, mm. that's the but thing. Again, there was a, you know, going back to the Doctor being distracted, yes, they save Earth, and, you know, whether, whether it's the, the, the cleverest plot device, you know, around for the ships to sort of gather around Earth and protect it in a shield. Um, but everything else is disappearing, and the Doctor just like, oh, as long as Earth is safe... It, it's mm. kind of like, hang on a second. <laughs> Great, you, you save planet Earth, but the rest of the solar system is gone. Yeah, I, I, I did wonder what had happened to the rest of the solar system. The poor Venusians. 
Were they the little the little green fellas? What about the ice warriors? Yeah. <laughs> well, the blue people. I think that was um, that was like a flashback, yeah. wasn't it? That was like an image put into the doctor's mind of another planet. But yeah, initially, I think I thought, is that supposed to be another planet in our solar mm -hmm. system? Were they the Venusians of, of the Aikido fame? <laughs> I think they were just an unnamed civilization oh, elsewhere. That's a shame. Because Venusians have got like six arms or something, yeah. haven't they? So I suppose it couldn't have been them. <laughs> that is true. Um, you were saying about this on Tarans. We're, we're, we're back to 1970s on Tarans, aren't we? We've, we've, we've sort of looped back to the originals. Yeah, they, they've kept a lot of the, um, the, the the slightly kind of arch humour. I mean, I, I, I say arch, it was making me laugh. I say, you look disgusting, really <laughs> disgusting. Well, no point dwelling on it, <laughs> and so on. But yeah, it was, um, yeah, no, I, I, I like it. I, I, I've always preferred a Sontaran to be menacing than, than a comic relief. Yeah, as, as much as I love Dan Starkey and his portrayal, it, it it had become the, the the comic relief character rather mm. than do you know what you know these were military powerhouses yes. um, rather than just a a field medic that's now living in Victorian England with a lizard. Shall I fetch the memory worm? <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how bloodthirsty and ruthless these these sort of callbacks on tarans are yeah i mean god knows how they fit in you know it was like 30 trillion light years away uh didn't seem to uh sort of fasten on to any of the other open tabs that chris chibnall had at that point but next week's is the war of the Santarans, isn't it so i i guess we'll get some clarity then hmm I was pleased that Don Starkey was in it as well. So there was, there, there, you know, there was that link to, to the more recent Santaran stories as well. It wasn't like a total kind of rewrite. Um, but I, I don't mind. The, I think the, the Robert Holmes's initial conception of them was a gag where when they took the helmet off, the, the head was the the same size shape. Um, as the helmet so I think the idea that Stephen Moffat didn't treat them um, with enough seriousness and, and respect is it isn't something that really bothers <laughs> me to be honest but you know the, don't don't forget they were in you know involved in a an invasion of Gallifrey so with, you know during the sort of early part of the Sontarans they they really were you know up there with, with some of the other sort of infamous aliens but Less so as time has gone on, less you know, uh, less seen as, as kind of that serious. Um, yeah. So it, 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 it's good to have them back, and yeah, it's interesting to think about how they how they fit in, especially where we left the story, which was essentially the you know um, the TARDIS doors wide open and the apocalypse coming towards them, uh, to suddenly find that in the next episode we're we're, we're back in time with. Some tyrants on a on a, a battlefield, so it's a, it's a curious one. I did think we were heading for a cliffhanger of the Earth being destroyed. Mm -hmm. I thought that was maybe going to be kind of the big epic statement of intent for how big this series is going to be. Um, I suppose 
bit, bit like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy as well, isn't it? If you uh, if you destroy the Earth in the first episode, but I am very pleased that they didn't do that because it's one of those things that you know would just have to be reversed by the end of the mm. story and have to be walked yeah. back. Also, also if it's where all my back. stuff is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I did think that was the way we were going. I thought this is uh, this is where the cliffhanger is heading. But um, yeah, I like that sort of like twenty four style cliffhanger of getting to see where all the characters are um, at, at that exact point in the story. Yeah. As well. I love twenty four. Do we have any theories about the mysterious mining? So, so yeah, so this is the Williamson tunnels. Um, that 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 were built by a uh, tobacco merchant, but nobody knows why. And this is this is had to look at this on online, and uh, yeah, they were built. I mean, the, the flashback takes us to the eighteen twenties, and it, it was built in the early nineteenth century. Um, but the, it was so secretive that nobody actually knew why. And parts of it now have been sort of filled in, but other parts you can take an actual tour of. You can, you can go down into the tunnels and, and have a walk around. Okay. Yeah. I've never exactly. ever heard of this well. before. But, uh... I think it's one of these things that's not that well-known outside of Liverpool, is it? Mm. Um, they're sort of quite well-known in the area, but but it's not, like, yeah, massively well-known... Uh, thing, but it was, I think, and they allude this in the story that it was he provided a lot of uh, employment for for the area by doing this, yeah. didn't he? But there's a there's a Williamson Tunnels Heritage Center, which which sort of explains a little bit more about it. But like I say, it is really um, a mystery as to, to what it was what it was for. I'm very excited and I want to go. Is there a little shop at the end where you can get fridge magnets and a tea towel? I, and I, would, I would imagine so. Yes. I want an absurdly small pot of marmalade, <laughs> if possible. <laughs> yeah, it just says that, it, that they were building it from 1810 to around 1840. I imagine these these parts are probably filmed on location mm. there as well, so it's going to be going to be great for their um, their profile, isn't it? Yeah. But it, 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 I think it's potentially a little bit of genius to know that they're there when a lot of people don't, and you know, you, you've mm. already got a a mystery in time, which I'm sure they'll pro- provide some sort of solution as to what you know what he was working on. Uh, bearing in mind that we've got other villains that we haven't seen yet that we know are coming up later on, uh, who might like to hide in tunnels. Uh, I don't know. Who knows? Oh, I, I have kept myself very spoiler free, but that's <laughs> that's 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 tempting, James. <laughs> no, what are you talking about? Who likes to live in a tunnel? You well, you would have seen in the trailer. There's there's one villain we haven't seen yet. Well, one alien race that we haven't we've seen the oh we haven't talked about the Weeping Angel yet properly, but um, there is another baddie that's in the trailer that we haven't seen yet Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> no no it's all the trailer i should i should remedy that really shouldn't i <laughs> yeah I, I think before we we sort of move on that um what you were talking about with the location shooting 
Mark. It, it, it looks beautiful. I mean, this has been a, a sort of consistent thing uh, with the Chris Chibnall era is is just how absolutely sumptuous it looks. It's like the, the photography is so careful. The colours are amazing. The special effects are, I think, pretty impressive. Um, and, yeah, location shooting, absolutely brilliant. And they've done all this during... Uh, you know, a pandemic, which is, that's, that's a hell of a thing. Yes, it really is. You you can sort of tell with a lot of the shows that you've watched over the last six months to a year that um, they've kept casts a little bit smaller than they otherwise would have been. And you see the positioning of people and so forth. And you think, yeah, this is, these shows are going to be identifiable as having been filmed in 2020. But uh, no, I mean, didn't even cross my mind once watching last night's episode. No, it looks fantastic. And, and one of the great things about the Chibnall era as well is is getting away from London and, and Cardiff, I suppose. You know, the, the stuff that's been filmed in Sheffield and now Liverpool. It's, uh, it's great to see stuff in other parts of the country. No, it is absolutely. It's um, yeah, it's tremendous. So, do do we know what? I I haven't really paid any attention to the socials today. Do we do we know how this has gone down with fandom generally? I think I'm following the right people on Twitter because my timeline it's mainly positive. Yeah, I would say overwhelmingly positive as well. What I've seen, I I've seen a lot of positive comments, but I've also seen people that were prepared to hate it before they watched it. Um, in fact, one person who said they hated it and hadn't even watched it. Um, which I find amusing. <laughs> what a joyful individual. <laughs> I'm glad it was as rubbish as I thought it was going mm. to be, but I didn't bother <laughs> to watch it. Um, so I think, I think some people will already have their, their views. And I think the fact that they've announced um, that Russell... T. Davis is coming back. I think that's kind of overshadowed in a way this last season, which I think is a shame because I think as a season opener with so many sort of threads going through it, I found it really interesting Um, and and probably more interesting than I found some of the other stories um, in this particular era. I I sort of want to know more. I want to find out more about these characters. So I'm kind of engaged um, straight away with this. But I think if you're already not a fan of Chibnall or not a fan of Jodie, the fact that we have a ticking clock is going to mean, well, actually, you know, I'm not going to bother because there's only eight episodes, nine episodes left. And and then I go into, you know, a brand new era with, with someone who I wanted back. So I, I feel slightly that some views will be polarised by this. Um other people, I did see people say, you know, I've, I've switched off from Doctor Who for a while, but I really enjoyed this episode. And maybe yeah. the six-episode format with a continuous story will pay some dividends. Uh, I, I think, I, yeah, I, I think it definitely will. I mean, one of the um, – because I grew up, you know, when it was quite a sedate program and a story would go on for six or seven weeks sometimes – um, you know, that's that's kind of the pace I I, I got used to. Um, so every, everything since 2005 has felt very rushed to me. And, you know, so for 42, 45 minutes, whatever, 
it, it's quite a tight time to tell a story. Um, and, you know, they do sometimes feel a little like the power of three, you know, it ju- just felt incredibly rushed at the end. You know, like a whole great big story thing got introduced and then it's like, ah, but it doesn't really matter. Let's just ignore it. Um, whereas this, this straight away looks like it's being given room to breathe and spread mm-hmm. out a little um and yeah I'm, I'm i'm actually quite excited about that it's like you know I, n- I never really took to um torchwood until children of earth uh and then you know you sort of see oh yeah this is what this is what that could be you know if, if you just have a how uh, commit yourself to telling a story but doing it in a, a sort of you know, intricate and fairly detailed way rather than just a superficial kind of hey, everyone shouting and now it's finished kind of way. Mm. Yes, this series is going to be more like a novel than a series of short stories, and uh, I think that's really interesting. I mean, the um, the different storylines that we've seen already, particularly with Claire and the Santarans and that poor chap oh, yeah, on Space worm. Station Rose. He's, a, he's, a, he's from the Game of Thrones, you know. He is. Although every time I see him, I can't think. I can't stop thinking about Dave Lister from Red Dwarf because the, yeah. <laughs> stuck. It's the only human left in the in the out in space on a space station, <laughs> eating his sugar puff sandwiches. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It felt like there was more, and it's slightly longer than, like you're saying, about the 42-minute episodes. It, it clocks in about yeah. 50 minutes, this, doesn't it? But it felt so much more substantial than some of those. And, and I guess that's because you don't have to have that three-act structure. It can all be introducing things and introducing characters, but it, it felt like there was much more in this, I think, much more substantial. Uh, when I rewatched it, it really, really struck me of, of yeah, how much there was in there. Uh, and, and like the scenes building the tunnels with uh, it was Williamson, isn't it? The guy that that felt like maybe a pre-title sequence. And, and I suppose a bit with Claire and the Weeping Angel felt like that could have been a pre-title sequence for another story. So um, it's just all these great sort of vignettes to begin with as well that are just just wetting your mm. appetite. Uh, I think the scene with the Weeping Angel I thought was was very well done. Really kind of creepy, tense scene. Well directed. Well oh acted. yeah, good, good direction. And at the same time, if someone hasn't seen a Weeping Angel before, it's a this is yeah. what they are and this is what they do. It's a very good introduction to them because a lot of new viewers, hopefully. Mm. Whereas I did slightly think the bit where Carvinista crashed through uh, Dan's mm. door. That was a bit of an opportunity for maybe a bit of a because you just just get the shot of the door and immediately comes through it. Um, you you could have built up maybe a noise on the other side of it that makes him look at it first, and then maybe not exactly a jump scare, but you know there there could have been a little bit more menace in <laughs> yeah. that. It's like comedic the way the way he comes mm. in, isn't it? The, the, yeah, the, there are there are some sort of peculiar gear shifts. Um, you know, in terms of tone, but I, I like it. You know, I, I, it's um, I, I, I think that's admirable. It, it gives it a you know a little bit more. Um, oh, what kind of patination? Kind of you know, it's it's more interesting. The guy who directed it, it's uh, Jamie Magnus Stone, 
who I found out today mm-hmm. is Magnus Magnusson's grandson. I have oh. no idea if it's common knowledge or not. He's Sally Magnusson's son and Magnus Magnusson's grandson. Yes, that is interesting. You're quite right. <laughs> quite right to be <laughs> Just taking that in. Just taking that in. I wonder if it's true. In. If you read it on the internet, it's bound to be true, isn't it? <laughs> um, I forgot there was another, there was a, just another Dan thing, uh, which again was like a blink and you miss it. But uh, Carvanista seems to have some sort of telepathy powers. The Lupari yeah, magic. which doesn't work on Dan. Yes. So what's wrong with you? <laughs> yeah. Up as a dog. Yeah. I thought. I thought again. That was just one of those little throwaway things. Yeah. That that could be. See, this is what this is what timeless child has done to me. It's made me paranoid about every single character. <laughs> it's going to end up. You know, it used to be like you, you like you say. It used to be the Rani. Someone's going to end up being the Rani in every season. Now I just think everyone's a pre-Hartnell Doctor in some way. <laughs> Well, there was a, there was uh, the theory that Bradley Walsh wasn't there was um, was a pre Hartnell doctor towards the end of yeah. the last series, and and yeah, that is sort of a tantalising prospect, isn't it? That uh, there would be a companion there in plain sight, I suppose, throughout <laughs> the series that, that turns out to have been a, a, a pre Hartnell doctor all along. Uh, but no, I thought that as well, and I, I wondered if it's a little bit like the occasional people that we meet where the psychic paper yeah. doesn't work on them. Because Shakespeare, wasn't it? And, and there's various people who sort of distinguished in some way where it can't fool them. And I wondered if it was something along those lines. Could well be. I mean, I just thought he was having a glitch with his technology. But, uh, yeah, it's an, there is more to Dan than meets the eye. Hmm. Quite exciting. Definitely. <laughs> to find out. I want to know. Yeah. And I thought it was interesting that, um, that if Carvin Easter was in the division, that it's not an entirely sort of Time Lord endeavour that, which I I think the impression that I'd got from Series 12 was that it was like the the old CIA, yeah. you know, that you get in the um, uh, in the Deadly was Assassin. Ka- was Carvin Easter um, definitely in, in the division? I mean, the Doctor says you're going to tell me everything you know about it, but I didn't have the impression he was... She said he's the last remaining person alive, I believe, that was in it. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. But then the swarm in the, in the second confrontation says, we did a good job of wiping your memory, didn't we? So, which would indicate that there could be other people out there, but they wouldn't know it. Well, the two the two agents of the division that are there when the swarm's released that seems contemporaneous with with what's mm-hmm. going on, unless unless of course the swarm's a time traveler as well. So they they've come from the division, so they could just be very well hidden and secreted away somewhere that the Doctor can't yeah. find them. Which which makes me wonder if we will see at some point a return to the sort of gateway where the doctor was supposed to have originated 
Yeah, because they, they say the swarm has been imprisoned there since the dawn mm. of time, which is always like a grand tradition of uh, menaces from the dawn of time, from like Fenric, mm. the, uh, uh, the the spider queen. Yeah. Um, yeah. And they're it. Did they not immediately undercut it, though? Because it's like the, the junior one says, you know, how long has he been here? And the senior one says, oh, since the creation of the universe. But then says something like, but, you know, the, these things grow in the telling. That's that's not her phrase, but, you know, it's people exaggerate, something like that. So okay. it, it, it is undercut straight away. Uh, I sort of was wondering if the swarm came from the Doctor's universe yeah. or something, you know, like... Uh... Had had arrived at the dawn of this universe, but it's not the <laughs> nucleus of the swarm, is it? <laughs> Be a very different story. There's a couple of other callbacks I <clears throat> wrote down. So the Doctor uses the Hopper virus from Orphan Fifty Five oh. to take out the defences in uh, Carvanista's ship. Yeah. Um, the cloister bell we've not heard for a little while at the end. <clears throat> she says about the end of the universe. So there, was, there was a couple of just, you know, little, again, little nods back to, to, to previous stories, not just the sort of beginning ones around the Nitro 9 and the accents. There were, there were a couple of others dotted around. Yes, I think that Chibnall is that kind of fan though isn't he it's the, the there will be a lot of kind of fan service in, involved in uh any anything he's got he's got anything to do with I, I sort of quite enjoy the prospect of you know sort of so, somebody who's brand new to Doctor Who and doesn't have a massive history with it uh mm. taking over and seeing seeing what happens there because they're you know that you, you can overload you can overload your Doctor Who with with sort of continuity references and things. You can. Um, I mean, obviously, it's Chibnall's style to do that to a certain extent, but then completely rip the ground out from <laughs> under your feet in other respects. By rewriting everything. <laughs> How many doctors? Nobody knows. I still, I still think though that that is going to be resolved, or or partially resolved before the end of his tenure. I think he's he's put that out there, but I, I think there's probably a longer term plan. And and Russell T Davis has said he's he's you know he quite likes that storyline. So I don't I don't think we're necessarily necessarily going to get you know that dropped completely but i think there will be some sort of resolution to it before we see the, the you know the final jody story mm -hmm. this just leaves it wide open doesn't it for meeting few um you know in the future meeting other other pre-hartnell doctors and you can do that sort of john hurt in day of the doctor idea of of getting a huge name that would never commit to to a series maybe to pop up now and again and appear as a pre Ooh, Doctor. Yeah. Well, you know, I would watch oh, a season yes. of the Ruth Doctor. Mm. I would. I am sure we will see yeah. the Ruth Doctor before the end of this um, season. I hope it'd so. Be, yeah, it would yeah, be really unsatisfying sure. if we don't. 
Yeah. Given that they're continuing with the storyline about the division and, and the Doctor's past that she can't remember, um, it would seem remiss not to include Joe yeah. Martin, wouldn't it? Yes, yeah, it's very difficult to be meaningful about it at, at this very, very, very early <laughs> stage. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's just so lovely to have it back. Um, and it's nice. It's it's yeah. it's so nice just to have the core principles of the program still intact as well. And there's a, there's a lovely bit, you know, it's quite near the beginning where Dan says something along the lines of, you know, what's the point of being alive if it's not to make people happy? Um, which I, I just think I find admirable. Um, you know, it, it, it's mm-hmm. a it, it's still a a progressive, forward-looking, inclusive program, and that's that's all of my boxes ticked. That's just the stuff I love. Yes, it is lovely to have it back again. I mean, we've we've been lucky with our Blu-ray releases and our Evil of the Daleks and all of the other things that have kept us going in the meantime, but to have absolutely brand new, never before seen Doctor Who back on our screens is fantastic. Yeah, and to know so little about it as well. They they have done a really good job keeping a lid on things. I think that's a I think that's a double edged sword sometimes. So I think I I'm I agree it's nice not to know everything and it's I'm sure there will be a few surprises as we go through the next five episodes, I think, the, but the tight control of that information and the very limited trailer, uh, especially the one they put out first and foremost, the one that was uh, when they were doing the uh, Comic-Con in the States, and it was literally 30 seconds of, of Yaz, the Doctor, and Dan shouting at each other, <laughs> and, and no villains at all were, were in that at all. Um, so <laughs> I think... Sometimes giving away too little can impact on the on you know people's desire to watch it. But now that it's it's here and it's full throttle, uh, yeah, I want to I want to you know I'm invested in the next five stories, so I want to know what's going on. Yeah, I can't wait. And you can hear all about it on the Trap One podcast with the all-new team of hosts, which are myself, Denise, Pete, Conrad, Jason, and Simon. And we've got some fantastic guests throughout the series talking about each of the episodes. So I hope that you will join us as each episode comes out. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining me on this episode. Thank you very much for having me, Mark. Thank you, yeah. Thank you very much for listening. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. (laughs)